Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What's up, Garden? How you guys doing? It's still morning, isn't it? All right. There we, there we go. Good morning. I'm still on a on that Texas time. Yeah, your boy um, actually is from Zimbabwe, based in uh, Dallas at the Upper Room. In- incredible, incredible community under the leadership of uh, Michael and Larissa Miller. And um, yeah, we love what God is doing there. And this is what you call a kindred community, and my wife love it. So speaking of which, I am married to um, the most incredible woman on the face of the planet. You may have an opinion, but I have the mic. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and uh, we have the most adorable son. His name is Silo, and uh, they're probably watching or pretending to watch, but either way, they send their love to you guys. But I truly, truly love this community, man. It is... Um, you guys have a lot of joy. You guys have a lot of life. Come on, right? It's crazy because when you read the book of Revelation, right, so many times uh, uh, there's muted expression, right, of the kingdom and, and, and church and whatever that kind of looks like. But y'all are wild, man. You guys sound like what the, the throne room sounds like when you read the book of Revelation, right? And uh, joy inexpressible and full of glory. I feel like that is the ethos of this house. Man, it's incredible. Man, I see some good people over here. Mfoit! Ode! There we go. That's, that's my brother right there. That's my brother from uh, South Africa. Good to see you, my friend. We got the Razavis over here. Hey, how are you guys? Can you guys wave to God's people? Man, that is a good friend to me. He, he pastors me over text and always checks up and prays for Have y'all ever noticed that your pastor attracts people like that? People that just love God and love people shamelessly. Come on. And, um, and, and because of that, he also attracts people like that in his staff. I love the leadership that you guys have in place, the excellence uh, that's there. Today, this morning, I was greeted by faith and joy. Come on, somebody. And I was like, yes, Lord, you know, but I love it. I truly, 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 truly uh, love it. Are you guys the parents? Oh, my goodness. Thank God for y'all. There we go. You guys won the lottery. Come on of parenting and everything, but man, it, it truly is, is such, such an honor to be here. And uh, Pastor Darren, listen, leadership always flows from the top down, the way you serve, the way you love, the way you and Alex are positioned to, to truly be kingdom forces in this generation is so inspiring to see. I remember the first time I saw Pastor Darren, I was just like, you're going to be my friend. You just don't, don't know it yet. Come on. <laughs> But the Lord did it so organically. He constantly calls, and he's so committed to this. With all the things that he's doing and all the time that he has, he just has this thing for covenant and kingdom and relationships, and you guys get the first fruits of that. So here's the deal. God is a God of principle, y'all. It says if you're faithful with the little, right, he makes you ruler over much. So, so, so the, the, the reward for stewardship is ownership. And so because he's such a good steward of the hearts and the minds of a generation, God is going to give him authority, right, over entire nations and all those things. And at that moment, everybody's going to be like, that's my pastor. You know how we all have our pastors in a context? But you guys have the unique opportunity to be the first fruits to show the world what honor for your pastor 
and your pastors kind of looks like, honor for your leadership looks like. So if you guys don't mind, can you just stand with me and just kind of honor God for him and for his life and for his yes and for his sacrifice? Come on, come on, come on. Keep going till he blushes. Come on. And while we're at it, while we're at it real quick, uh, see, Pastor Darren is a man under authority. I love that in every decision, in every, he is a man who has been fathered well. You guys are incredible fathers, like Pastor Bill. Oh my goodness. What a father, what a communicator. But even the, the board and the people around him and the, the, the wisdom that they pour into him, he's able to stand and in turn father a generation. So can you guys honor the eldership and the leadership and the people that are around him as well? Thank you all so much for this opportunity. Come on. Y'all know I'm African because the honor is longer than the sermon, right? <laughs> All right, let's get to the good stuff. Everybody say good stuff. No, stay standing, y'all. Oh, we're working together. Y'all thought you were sitting? I'm standing. You're standing. Let's go. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Check this out. We're going to read uh, from the book of James. So um, James 5, verse 13 to... Uh, we're going to go to 18. Now, here's how I want to do it. I'm both African, which is very social, and Texas, which is also one of those. So when I go to eat in Texas, I love those restaurants because they serve sides in what you call family style. Come on, somebody. Oh, that is the culture of the kingdom. It means it just keeps on coming, baby, and you get to share it and eat it at the table. So I feel like that's what we're going to do in heaven. And um, I, I was kidding around the first uh, service, and I was saying, I feel like uh, Texas catering is going to what we eat in heaven. Come on barbecue and sweet tea and it's like it won't be one of those kind of New York it won't be one of those like where they bring a blob of something and charge your mortgage for it you know what I'm talking about nah I ain't about that give me the ribs give me the whole hog come on bacon the best part of being on this side of the cross now here's what I want us to do y'all <laughs> I promise I'm gonna get to it I'm gonna get to it so at the count of three I want us to read this all together with conviction then we're going to pray and jump into the conversation. Is that cool? Yeah. Good plan? Yeah. All right. Uh, James 5, verse 13. One, two, three. Let's go. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Come on, say raise him up. Raise oh, it's a promise, y'all. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that he would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Father, we just come before and we bless you, Father. Oh, we thank you for the goodness, the efficacy, Father, the integrity of your word. 
But Father, if you say you will raise us up, you will raise us up, Father. If you say you answer the impossible, you answer the impossible, Lord God. If you say we should pray, Father, you answer. And so we just want to say thank you for this incredible dynamic. We bless you and we thank you. Can you just put your hand over your heart and say, come Holy Spirit. So, Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, spirit of truth, the blessed teacher. We pray that teach us from the very wisdom of heaven, Father. Not ideas, not concepts, Lord God, not clever, witty, crafty sayings, but the counsel of heaven, finding perfect expression, Father. And may their hearts, Lord, receive what you have, not from me, from you, Father, for them. So come, Holy Spirit, chair this meeting. Take us where you want us to go. May those people have a radical encounter, not just with a sermon, but with heaven. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Man, uh, I love how that scripture, you may be seated. High five somebody. <laughs> tell them, let's roll. And you may be seated. Man, I love how there is not an ounce of the orphan spirit in this, in this community. Because everything that is counter to the kingdom comes from an orphan spirit. When somehow we've allowed the enemy to talk us out of the Abba reality, the daddy reality, the simple conviction that God is for us, he's with us, he's in us. And he will literally split heaven and give us the best of heaven just to convince us that he will take you out of whatever context, birth you into the most perfect climate ever, surrounded by the ocean and, and beauty and all the abundance of heaven simply because God is a good God. And I've noticed that uh, the spirit of orphanhood is allergic to sonship. And sonship always thrives in a fathered culture. And so I truly feel the pleasure of the Lord over the fathers right, that have shaped uh, Pastor Darren and uh, Pastor Alex, the fathers that exist in this house, the leadership, the covering of what that looks like. And I say that because um, I just feel even as I was just reading the book of James, there was a part right there that says, let them call and let the elders pray for them. Not just a governing body, not just logistical figureheads, but I'm talking about right pillars, generational monuments to the grace and the goodness of God, to the simple fact that the dynamic that we are called into is a family dynamic. There's a father, the son, and his Holy Spirit in this beautiful dance that theologians call the perichoresis, this dance of, of deference, this dance of honor, this dance of love. And then he's so, so enamored with himself. And I'm talking about the Trinity that he's like, I want to create a being in my likeness. And I want them, and I'm going to bring them into this particular context because I love them. See, we have a son and his name is Silo. That boy did nothing to be born his mother did something. Come on, somebody. She put on those red heels. It was, it was game over after that. Come on, somebody, right? But, but, but out of the covenant and the union of our communion, right, he was born into the covenant of that love. 
And because of that, his cradling context, his cradling reality, he can never exist outside the parameters of my mother, of sorry, of his mother and I's love. Never. Now he can choose to disassociate himself from it. He can choose to accept lies that we do not love him, but he will never objectively exist outside the context of the intentionality of our love. And we are born into that, born into a trinity so enamored with each other, so honoring, so loving, and then we're born into that context. And then he gives us a revelation of that so that we step into whatever context he has called us to minister within as proxies of the beauty of that. A culture of communion, a culture of commensality, where at that which is at the center of everything is a table. It starts with a table and he says, let us make. And it ends with a table at the feast. That is the power of the table. One of the things that marked me the most about this particular community, I still remember this. My man Michael was over there and, uh, and they invited me. They're like, hey, what are you doing this evening? Hey, come hang out with us, right? I'm used to lame hangs. I'm used to cool hangs. What I wasn't used to was coming to a space and there's like over a 12-foot table with an incredible and elaborate spread and people on either side in perfect California weather, the closest thing you can ever get to heaven. And they're just over there <laughs> enjoying each other. And I was like, oh. The beauty, I felt right at home. That is the beauty, the violence of the table. Come on, it defies everything that the enemy has ever told you about who you are. Why am I building this context? I'm building this context because I want you to understand that you are loved because people who are loved love people. So because if you truly get a revelation of how loved you are and how accepted you are, then you will violently Go out there and apprehend anything that mitigates the expression of sonship in the lives and in the hearts and in the minds of your brothers and sisters and tell them, hey, there's a table that's been set. I know that you're around your enemies, but right there in the middle of it, your father sets a table and he says, feed on my faithfulness. Ooh, your context is love. You are loved beyond measure. And when you understand that you're accepted in the beloved before you had developed the capacity to choose either way, you're born into a context of acceptance. When you understand that, then the world can't reject you. And when the world cannot reject you, then you become a proxy and you craft an atmosphere of sonship around you. And then everyone is drawn into the gravity of your sonship. Come on, that's what Romans 8 talks about. That creation is groaning as it waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. It says it was subjected to that in hope because it would find the glorious expression of its creativity in the liberty of sons. And that's what Elijah does, right? He can speak to the rain and says, hey, until God's work here is done, Elijah, with a Google expression of the kingdom, we are on, G on chat GPT, come on somebody, right? With a lesser revelation can speak to the elements as a son and the elements obey because that's what happens when sons speak. Creation finds calm. That's what Jesus does in the boat, right? It says he's taking a nap. Come on, somebody. There's nothing more precious than Sunday naps. That's a slice of heaven. Come on. He's taking a snap in the wind. A nap in the wind is kind of messing with it. And then he rises up and from this place of sonship he releases his peace and he tells the waves to be still come on 
That right there is what Romans 8 is talking about, that creation is throwing a fit and throwing a tantrum and throwing a tornado and doing all these things because it's waiting for us to accept our rightful place as sons. Then speak to a chaotic nature. Speak the culture of the kingdom of God that you represent. That where there's darkness, you step in as light and you say the kingdom is here. Come on, somebody. When there's rot and compromise and flesh, you step in as the salt and you say the kingdom is here. Come on. When people are asking for something, opinions, it's like, whatever, can I have money? Can I have this? Can I have... You're like, oh, I don't have none of that, but such as I have. Filled with the Spirit of God for the kingdom of God for such a time as this. I want you guys to understand this because if you don't, this community will unknow you because your pastors, his heart, their, their hearts and their eyes are focused on extending and expanding a kingdom in all its glorious expression and going into the deepest, darkest places. Have you ever read the book of Job? It says where you go and you snatch people from the jaws of poverty. And it says when people step out in the radical expression of their sonship, it says poverty and injustice shuts its mouth. Ooh, that is the beauty of your existence. That is your birthright. You were never meant to live in a mitigated expression of who God created you to be. You are loved. You are accepted. Before you had the capacity to reject this, you can't run away from it. You can deny it. You can listen to the enemy and tell you otherwise. But every single time you stand on the truth of his word, when you open this book through the lens of a redeemed son, of someone who understands that they are loved, all you see is God's radical love, acceptance, joy over you. The Bible says he rejoices over you with singing. Whew, I didn't know what this meant until I got his son. And all of a sudden, me, African warrior. And then all of a sudden, I'm making up songs and I'm going, blah, 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 and I'm singing and I'm kissing. And there's all these things I didn't even know existed on the inside of me. What happens? It is the pleasure of father over a son, regardless of whether they have earned it or not. You are so loved. You are so seen. You are so accepted. You are so beloved. You are so insert every good thing here and it is. And the reason the enemy wants to keep you out of this book is the simple fact that when you read it as the love letter that it is, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, my father is crazy about me. The reason he sets all these parameters around me is because he wants to spend more time with me. He loves me. That prayer, right, is a space and a place of communion. That fasting and focus on the only things, that the pleasure of heaven exists. If you're not having fun, if you're not joyful in his presence, you're doing it wrong. Do you understand? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. If we were to play charades right now, and I come over here and I'm like, hey, here's what I want you to act out. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. I bet you it won't be like this. No. There's nothing muted or mitigated about who God has called you to be. That is your origins context. And I want you to anchor yourself in that as we go into what I'm about to talk to, talk about right here. Because your father, which is your pastor, brought an incredible word. Right? It was a good word. Loving fatherly rebuke, right? To a house that understands sonship. Because the Bible says true sons understand discipline and the rod of discipline, right? They understand that, that it, you, we are disciplined through the word so that we can be partakers of his divine nature. 
right? And so he brought a word, but he was just echoing in essence what James is saying about this. Remember how it started in James 5. It starts with, come now you rich, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. And then he goes on and he rips into them and he does all these things which makes them uncomfortable and which afflicts them. He's bringing forth a social justice case on how they were supposed to extend the kingdom of God and its justice on those who were afflicted. But the very nature of the truth is that truth in itself afflicted them. So now he's speaking to this dynamic of the afflicted. Can you imagine? It's almost like someone, a dad kind of comes in there in the house a mess and everything, and he just lights into everybody. Like, all right, are we hurting? Good. That's where it starts. So after that, he says this. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Remember, that was the context that he comes from, right? And this is what I want to talk about. It's, I'm going to be talking about prayer because the thought behind this is prayer. But the context that he speaks to is, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, right? Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms, right? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. What is sickness? It's another context of helplessness and suffering, right? You guys understand sickness, that when you are sick, there's nothing dignified about being sick. You guys understand that the first casualty of distress or sickness is dignity. The very first thing that they do when you're sick and you get to a hospital is strip you of your dignity. They don't want dignified patients over there. So what do they do? They give you a little robe. It doesn't even go all the way. And it's got a giant slate all the way. It's like, it's like whatever. And then you have random strangers come in every five minutes and park and prod in all places sacred. Why? Because you understand that when you are sick, dignity is one of the first casualties of sickness. So he's talking to people. If you are sick, you're afflicted by that sickness. You're afflicted by the objective reality that people have access to the most intimate aspects of that sickness. And you're afflicted by the subjective truth of understanding that my sickness touches not just me, but the people that love me all around. And I don't know if we have any parents here, there is nothing as painful as the sickness of a child. The helplessness that comes where you would gladly take that, that affliction on yourself. Because sometimes as a parent, the pain of watching is worse, right? So he talks about this and then he goes on and then he says over here, he says, confess your trespasses. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then he talks about Elijah. We're going to come back to this. And he says, he talks about, but what is he talking about? He's talking about if you are in the context of affliction and suffering, there is a specific type of prayer that you need to pray to not only alleviate that suffering, I'm not talking about a balm, but to rectify that suffering because that's why you exist as kingdom forces to bring, bring kingdom rectitude and alignment on earth as it is in heaven. And I love the fact that it is the blessed mantra of this house to where wherever you go, you're supposed to be and supposed to bring everything in alignment. So I want to speak to you right now as humanity, right? And when I say humanity, I'm speaking about the simple fact that Job says, hey, a man is born to trouble as the sparks 
fly upwards. Which basically means you're either in a problem, you're just leaving one, or you're heading towards one. But trouble, conflict, discomfort are the constant. See, that's why Jesus is doing all these incredible things and he's walking around, he's turning water into wine and he's really popular with the college age and he's doing all these things. But then he turns around to his disciples and says, hey, listen, it is better that I go. What could be better than us rolling around as your entourage as you go about and put the hurting on the kingdom of darkness, right? The Bible says this is the reason that the Son of Man was made manifest, that he would destroy the works of darkness. So what could be better right, than watching Jesus season six as he goes around, uh, come on, healing all who are oppressed of the devil for God is with him. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit and by power and he went around doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil for God was with him. You could not separate the mission of Jesus from the message and the man called Jesus. See, the reason he gives us his spirit is because we are the bomb, we are the response, we are the answer to a dying world. The reason he calls us light and salt are all these things are things which are not contra-culture, but intra-culture. See, I think it's such a paradox, right? And, and, and an oxymoron when people say, I quit social media because it was too dark for me. And I'm like, can you imagine if you had a self-conscious light? It's going around, it's like, ooh, I don't mess in dark places. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, no, I'm not, I'm not going over there. That's, that's way too dark for this light over here. No, the problem is that your self-consciousness, because now you're becoming the bottleneck for the kingdom expression, right? So what is better than a Jesus walking around and doing great things and us cheering him on? It says it's better because if I go there, then I'm going to take the same spirit the kabod, the weighty presence, the thing that killed Uzzah, the thing that used to stay, that only priests could approach that, that weighty thing, the essence of who God is, the potency of his presence. I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it in you, in you, in you, in you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take that and wrap it in skin and call it Ramin and call it Ode and call it uh, right, right, Michael and call it Alex and call it all those things and then I'm going to take you and send you into a particular context. And I'm going to watch what you do. But not just me, though, but then all the saints, right? In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, it says in Hebrews 12, we jump into it, it says they're standing over the balcony of heaven going, what are they going to do? What are they going to do with the manifest presence of God dwelling on the inside of them? It's going to suck sitting in the cafeteria of heaven across from, from Daniel. It's like, so what did you do with the kabod? It's like, well, I, I, I did a few tweets. I'm sorry, a few threads. And I just did this, and he was like, are you kidding me? It's like what Pastor Darren was talking about. They are waiting to see what type of art we create, having the spirit of the creator on the inside of us, what songs we write with the very thing that gives worship its meaning dwelling on the inside of us, right? What diseases we identify and we can, what diseases they identify and we heal with the spirit of the healer on the inside of us. Classic Isaiah 11. Seven manifestations of the seven spirits of God finding perfect manifestation through us. That's what's better than one Jesus doing all of that. Seven billion Jesuses in every context. If 13 people can in turn an entire region around to where the kings of that place say, hey, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Can you imagine that? 
it's Monday morning and that's what your boss is saying. It's like, oh my gosh, those people who have turned uh, Long Beach or who have uh, turned Huntington Beach around have come to my job as well. They work here. They're everywhere. If you catch a revelation of the radical, the radical revelation of your sonship, you will change the world and have Pastor Darren type levels of fun while you're doing it. That's what's better. But check this out though. He says, hey, the context gives us clue to what's coming, right? So he says, I'm, it's better that I go because if I go there, I will send you a what? A helper, right? And then what does he call him? The first thing he calls him, the what? The comforter, right? Why would he send us a comforter if he didn't expect us to go into places of discomfort? See, the place where you shine is context of discomfort, that's why the spirit of the comforter is with you. He's like, hey, I'm going to send you a helper, and he's going to help comfort you. Right there, you should have known. You're like, man. <laughs> really? He doesn't say, I'm going to send you the spirit of the, I don't know, I don't know what's cool, ice cream giver. I don't know. I just thought of ice cream. I don't know why I did. But you know what I'm saying? He said the comforter, because you're about to walk into comfort, into context of discomfort. But this clues us into two things. The world has been subjected to hopelessness. And so have we. We are under the rule of hopelessness. And the only thing that helps us exist outside of that is the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, which then sets us free from the law of sin and death. These aren't suggestive laws to where you can be like, like a speed limit to where it's like, yes, I can do this or whatever. These are laws like gravity, irrefutable until a greater law acts on that. See, right now, if, hold up my arm right now, right? If I literally let it go, it falls. What, what made it? What pulled it down? But I can lift it up. What is that? It's the law of life, right? Because I have life, I can exist, right? Contra to the laws of gravity. And so there is a law around the world which is pulling the world down and there's hopelessness and there's all these things and it is a law of what I call impossibility. It is a fact that the, there are things which are impossible. It is a fact that cancer kills. But the truth is that God heals. So when the truth encounters the fact, what happens? The fact bows to the truth. And that's why he is the spirit of truth who sends us into context of discomfort so that we can then bring comfort, yes, and minister in those particular contexts. Do you know how you bring comfort to someone who's sick? You heal them. You don't say, hang on there, buddy. It's going to be okay. No, you heal them. That's how you comfort them, right? If my son is sick, I mean, I'll take all the text in the world, but if you show up and you're like, hey, I'm not going to send you a single text, but how about I heal Silo so he can go back to being a son? I'll take that any day. That'll be the most comforting thing because through that healing, I will see their friendship and their love. And then there's no argument and there's no philosophy and there's no religion which can then speak to this. See, that's why I love the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, come on. They are the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit who dwells with us. The Spirit who's acquainted with the suffering of humanity. And he's like, hey, you know what? I can see that they're suffering. So I'm going to give them gifts. And when they express themselves in these gifts, right, 
Then they're going to be the people that people are like, hey, let me, let me hang out with you for a little bit. They might come for the bread, right? They do that, but then they stay for the fruit. Then all of a sudden, they're like, man, this dude is doing all these things, but he's humble. It's like, man, I just told this guy the most vulnerable thing of who I am, and he just prayed, and that thing just broke off of me, generational things. And the whole time, I was distracted by the love in his eyes. I didn't have to worry, does he have an agenda? Am I going to be beholden to them for the rest of my life? He's like, no, it's just radical sonship, the glorious liberty of sons. So there's this particular context. I am so distracted by the goodness of God over your life. So distracted by it. It's so evident. It's so glaring. It's so marking. It's like a mark on who you are. The fragrance of Christ all over you. So you are called to the impossible. And it is going to be uncomfortable. And this particular scripture, this particular part of scripture that I want to do in the 12 minutes. By the way, the red clock, is that to the end of the service or the end of my sermon? Okay, good. Yeah, I did good last time. Okay. (laughs) All right, there we go. Okay, so I'm going to do this in 12 minutes, I promise. But then the context is a context of impossibility, which is uncomfortable. And it's a context of conflict. Right? And so he calls us to the impossible. And the only reason God could have given us the Bible and just say, trust that what I write in here is true. But he was like, I'm going to take the best of what heaven has. And I'm going to loan him to you guys for 33 years just so you can see what it looks like when love has skin and work boots on. Then he turns around and he gives us that same spirit without measure, right? Centered and rooted on the righteousness of Jesus. You know what that means? It means on your best day, you can heal the sick. And on your worst day, you can heal the sick. It's consistent. It means you don't have to pray and gather energy and strength as if you're like Dr. Strange. And you don't have to channel chakras or whatever that looks like. It means no. You just wake up and say, I am a son clothed with the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When I stand before him, he sees me. He hears my idiosyncratic expression, my cultural expression, right? He sees all of that, but it's completely covered by Jesus because I am in this gloriously unique geographical place called in Christ. And the Bible says all of God's promises in Christ are yes and amen. See, in the Old Testament, you had to live righteous. You had to have clean hands and you had to do all these things for the Spirit of God to rest on you because it was a resting place, so it had to be clean for it to rest on you so you could do all of this and then it would depart because we didn't have a nature that could sustain. And then God gives us the sacrifice of his son. Jesus lives the perfect life. And now, and then, so he's like when Jesus stands before the Father and asks for everything, right? We all know that blessing follows obedience. And Christ, absolute obedience. Whenever he stands before the Father and says, Father, can Garden Church have a building? You know what? God says, yes and amen. Father, can my sister be healed? Yes and amen. Father, can addiction be broken off of my husband? Yes and amen. But the beautiful thing about that, right? Paul talks about it, right? In, 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 um, in Colossians, right? We're literally, right? In Ephesians 2, we're literally, we get to clothe ourselves in Christ. We're resurrected into a seated place where the work is already finished in Christ. 
And in Christ, every promise for healing and wholeness and beauty and abundance finds only two responses from the Father, which is yes and amen. When we're clothed with Jesus, clothed with the righteousness of who he is, we can step into context and stretch out the scepter of his kingdom, which is our hands and our wills. And we begin to see ordinary people with passions like us. People who get hangry. People who've got, who've, got, who've got attitude issues, right? People who struggle sometimes and fall sometimes, but when they stand up and they say, hey, it was never me. It's the righteousness of Jesus that makes me acceptable before my Father. When I stand close to the righteousness of Jesus, I can ask God for anything. And his response is yes and amen. So I'm going to ask bold prayers on behalf of a generation. I'm going to ask bold prayers on behalf of a city. I'm going to, do you know that the book, the Bible, this very book says you have not because you ask not. Why do we not have godly leaders? You have not because you ask not. Why do we not have a cure for this disease? You have not because you ask not. Listen, this Bible, the thing about something that's built on integrity, the thing about anything that's built on integrity is that if you take away one thing, all of it crumbles. So either the whole Bible is integrous or it's not. And the same God who said, I forgive your sins, which we believe, that's why we're Christians, that's why we're in here, also said that. A part of that salvation is complete healing, soteria, nothing missing, nothing broken. But he doesn't want, just want you to live in that reality. Then he gives you the ability to then go and extend the scepter of his kingdom and his goodness to other people that were afflicted. The Bible says it is for the cause of freedom that God has set us free. Because free people, free people. Ooh, come on, somebody. Come on, the demoniac, right? The demoniac, right? Our generation in so many times, and listen, I'm not mitigating whatever. I love medicine and I love that doc, sometimes God uses doctors. I'm saying all of that, right? That's a fact. But there's a greater truth. The greater truth is that when we stand up as sons, we are allowed to lean into the impossible and ask God for impossible things, begin to walk in those manifestations. And when someone else comes and they struggle with the same thing, we stand up right? As, as literally as flagpoles of righteousness and say, he did it for me. He can do it for you. The word of our testimony told in the context of community is the most powerful discipleship and evangelistic tool that we have. Not just telling a generation about the goodness of God, because goodness is subjective, but living it out to where they identify with who you are. They've identified with your struggles and they can identify with your victories. And they say, how are you able to? We haven't seen you at our meetings for a while. Hey man, I ain't seen you around buying stuff from me. What is it? You're like, oh man, you know me, but let me tell you what he did. They can't argue with that. Nobody can argue with that. You can't argue with that. So God has called us to the uncomfortable places but he has filled us with the spirit of the comforter. Then he turns around and says, as sons, man, I love what pastor, man, y'all pastor, y'all pastor hears from the Lord. He says, hey, here, there was an altar call morning service. And he says, I want you to come up here and ask God for the impossible. He might tell that story. And I, I, I hope he does. Just ask God for the impossible. 
listen to this, listen to this. Here's what, I have so much pleasure. I remember my son, he's four months, so he's, he's, he's rejecting me, you know what I'm saying? He just wants mama, and he's, he's just like, right, I'm a means to an end, you know? I'm like, okay, that's cool, that's cool. But I still remember one time I was joking around, and I was telling my wife, and I was like, you have no idea what a cool dad I am. <laughs> oh my good, I cannot wait to give you the world. I cannot wait to tell you the difference between a Sith and a Jedi. Are you kidding? I can't wait to share good music with you. I can't wait for you to hear All Green for the first time or Hotel California, the Eagles for the first time. I cannot, you know that there is all this context of goodness that I'm making up, waiting for him to mature into sonship. And the saddest thing that could ever happen is when he reaches a point where he could choose to lean into my goodness. Then he just says, nah, you're not, you're not my father. Or you're not good to me. And he rejects. And I feel like that is the pain of God, but also the passion of God. Where he's over here and saying, hey, listen, how can you tell people of my goodness if you haven't experienced my goodness? And the invitation, listen to what Jesus says. He says, hey, up until now, you have never asked for anything in my name. Ask in my name so that your joy may be full. That is the Father's desire over you. How many of you guys have ever had an answered prayer from the Lord? Do you guys know the joy of an answered prayer? Because it's not just like, yay, we got a building with the outside, goodness. No, it's like, he sees me. He knows me. He hears me. He loves me. That is the joy of answered prayers. And he, and he says, ask bold prayers. I'm not even talking about altruistic, you know, peace on earth and goodwill to men, right? Like what's Pastor Darren? I feel like that's his peace on earth and goodwill to men at any cost, by any means necessary. That's how your father is. No, I'm not talking about that altruistic goodness. I'm talking about, hey, try the Lord in certain things. Come on, ask the Lord for houses and, and down payments and good cars and good gifts. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This is a gospel period. You cannot divorce prosperity from the gospel. Because as spirit, soul, and body, the framework for our existence is a God of thriving. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Then when you have a testimony, and your joy is full, then you can step out there and you say, hey, what do you need? Oh, bro, let me tell you what God did for me. What you need, I needed 10 times that amount and I saw this, this, this. Have you ever heard someone, have you, have you ever seen the power of someone tell you a testimony about something that you're in the middle of or believing for? Whew, what happens? You know the power of when that faith begins to surge on the inside of you. And you're like, ooh, tell me more. What did you do? And what else did you do? And then you find community and fellowship. That's all we did yesterday. Literally, we just kicked out on the goodness of God in each other's context. We, we sat at a table and we fed on his faithfulness. And when I left, I told him, I was like, I've been missing this. There's nothing better than this. A table of people who are loved and they've been redeemed. And they're perfect, not because they don't make mistakes or stumble, because that's just the journey of maturity, but because they're loved and covered by a perfect God. So my challenge to you, and I'm sorry I failed you. I didn't even, Seth, I owe you something, man, because I didn't even get to any of my slides. Maybe the next time, next time, keep watching this. I'm going to teach on 
prayer and fasting and how the praxis of doing these things, the practical aspects of how you pray with fervency and you see miracles and all of that. But I just felt like what the Holy Spirit just did right now is to lay a solid foundation on why you are worthy of that blessing, of his love, of his acceptance, why you can ask bold prayers. Because here's another thing that can happen without a firm understanding that your father wanted you to have that thing. Do you know what's worse than unanswered prayer? It's answered prayer on the wrong foundation. Because you will pray to God to put you in rooms and you will step into that rooms and the imposter syndrome is going to eat your lunch. And you walk in in a diminished expression and now this place that was supposed to bring you faith is so uncomfortable that you're like, oh, get me out of here. And then you start to craft all these narratives about how they don't accept me or they, or they, or they, when it's simply your insecurity crafting a framework that doesn't reject you. So it's got to reject everybody else. So it can feel like a, so it can bring a sense of homeostasis. But when you understand that God loves you and he wants you to have that healing and he wants you to have that husband and he wants you to have that marriage and he wants you to have that miracle and he wants you to walk and you're not that way because he's trying to teach you a lesson. No, listen to me. Uh, This is bad theology, y'all. This is bad theology. When you say stuff like, oh, I'm suffering because God wants to teach me something. God never has to teach you. Do you understand that all the things that we say God is teaching us are actually fruit of the spirit? God is teaching me patience. Patience isn't something you learn. Patience is something that becomes the natural outflow of being in union with a tree and you begin to bear the fruit of patience. And then other people, because fruit is never about the tree, it's about the other people. Then other people can enjoy the patience which is on your life. How then would God go against the very laws of his nature and the expression of nature around it and try to teach you love by putting you in an abusive relationship? When love was never a course, it's the fruit of a life of you. Come on, preach with me, sister. It's the fruit of a life lived in union with him. Have you ever walked past a mango tree and it's like, ah, ah, and you're like, hey, tree, what are you doing? Right? It's like... Hey, I'm trying to bear fruit. No. (laughs) If it's rooted to a source of sustenance, fruit is the natural outpouring and people can just pick what it is. And so if you are united with the Holy Spirit, then people are like, man, I want to get around them because I feel celebrated. I see love around them. I see joy. I see peace. I see long suffering. I see patience. I see kindness. I see goodness. Can you imagine being around someone who is all those things? We need people like that. So God's not going to give you a sickness or lack of context, things which are inconsistent with his nature and his culture. Here's a litmus test. And then if we don't mind, can we just get um, the keyboard around, around me? Here's a very simple framework for you. Very simple framework. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, whatever. Let all that goodness happen. If you don't see it in nature, it is not the nature of God. I'll give you a great example. You can literally walk across there. I want you to count how much water. Try to weigh the water that's in here. This is throwaway water. Most of the world is ocean. No framework for lack. Anything that is natural, the blades of grass, leaves on a tree, which are gone every season, it sheds everything and the next season it just springs up. The intricate artwork of a snowflake 
the wind, anything which is natural. So because of that, there's no reference point for lack and there's no reference point for barrenness in the kingdom, in God, in nature, and therefore in the nature created in his image. So if you don't see it out there, sickness, disease, death, all of that, you see it as impositions on perfect nature. But in its most natural form, pun intended, nature mirrors the nature of your God. And if it, you cannot see a reference point for it in nature, it doesn't exist in the heart, in the mind, in the philosophy, at the table, and in the community of your God. You are loved so much. And the reason his love is exceedingly abundant and it flows out of you is because it's for the nations through you. So God has called you to a life of the impossible, of the uncomfortable. He's given you his spirit to achieve it. He's given you his comforter for when you walk into those spaces. And the simple thing he says is, I have limitless resources. I have limitless strength. I do the impossible. I redefine the impossible. I am possible. Ask of me. Ask big of me. Let me give you the joy of answered prayers. Then I'll put you as a light on a hill for the whole world to see my goodness on display. My melanated goodness. Come on, somebody. My dreadlocked goodness. Come on, somebody. So with that, can we just stand up? And... Uh, Pastor Darren's going to take it where the Spirit of God wants to take it after this. But here's the one thing I, I want us to do. Can we all just put our hands up and just thank God for the gospel? That is the good news. That is the gospel. We're accepted. We are loved. That whatever this word says is true. Just begin to open your mouth right now and just begin to thank him. Come on, just open your mouth. Fervent, effectual, specific. Just open your mouth and say, Father, thank you. I just want to hear the sounds of grateful people filling this room right now. Come on. Come on, just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. If everything that I've said is true and it's his word, he deserves the praise. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. Come on. He deserves all of those things. Just open your mouth and say, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him all things are yes and amen. Come on, just open your mouth right now. Open your mouth and just begin to thank Him that there's an invitation to the supernatural. There's an invitation to the impossible. There's an invitation to abundance. Come on, somebody. Just open your mouth and begin to thank Him right now. Thank Him. Thank Him. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.